Uh, let's open in prayer. Dear, <clears throat> dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be together, to hear your word, to receive instruction from you, to receive knowledge of your will for us. Uh, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and that you would equip us. You would help us to seek you better, more strategically, more intentionally, more effectively, Lord. We pray that uh, you would stir us up as a church and that we would grow closer to you. And we thank you for your grace. And amen. All right, so today we are still doing the series, the GCF Vision. Uh, because we're running low on time, I'm not going to give the introduction I typically give to it. But uh, we've been on that series for a while, and to, we're still continuing the subsection called The Strengths of Charismatic Churches. Uh, you know, before this subsection, we talked about the strengths of Reformed churches. And after this subsection, we'll talk about the synergy and strengths you get from having both Reformed church culture and Charismatic church culture. So there are certain qualities that I would use to describe what I would call a charismatic church. Uh, the first one, holding to continuationism rather than cessationism. Uh, also receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the one we're going to talk about today, emphasizing, pursuing, and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, participation in spiritual warfare and deliverance. And having a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. So today we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit and our responsibility to pursue them. We do indeed have a responsibility to pursue them. Uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about holding to continuationism rather than cessationism, we talked about why we don't see them as much as we would like to, or as much as we might think to, if they're still a thing today. And we gave some reasons for that, namely two things, either... You know, we're not trusting God for them or we're not seeking them. But we're going to address that in greater detail today. So when I say that one of the gifts of most charismatic churches is that they emphasize and pursue the gifts of the Spirit, I'm specifically talking about the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, frequently referred to as the manifestation or gifts of the Spirit. Um, there are other lists of other gifts but the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are typically only pursued in charismatic churches. So that's why we're addressing those specifically as part of this section. All right, so, oh, by the way, you have in your outline, you should have an outline on the bulletin, I believe. Uh, we, we're back to fill in the blanks. This is a fill in the blank Sunday. Um, but that will come when we start talking about how we should pursue the gifts. First, let's get into an overview of the gifts of the Spirit list in 1 Corinthians 12. Hmm. Let's start by reading 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 10. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All right. Um, so that, you know, is where we get this list of gifts. And 1 Corinthians 
12, 4 through 10, and Paul lists nine of them. And I'm going to try to give a very brief overview of those nine before we get into how to pursue them or how we should pursue them. Um, let me think. Yeah, let's try to do this real quick. Um, so we're going to talk briefly about each gift and what it is. So a word of wisdom, and the ESV says an utterance of wisdom, the NASB says a word of wisdom, but uh, that's when the Holy Spirit gives you supernatural wisdom, not wisdom you could have otherwise had uh, for a given situation. I would give an example of this is when Jesus told Peter to let down the nets for a catch. That was a word of wisdom. There is no way someone could have known by natural wisdom to let the nets down for a catch. Because by natural wisdom, it wouldn't have even been the right thing to do. It was supernatural wisdom. And Jesus knew it by the Holy Spirit and told Peter to do it. And I, also, I think it's likely that a number of Jesus' responses to the Pharisees where they couldn't outsmart him might have been because of words of wisdom he got from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next gift listed, a word of knowledge. You know, Jesus knew on multiple occasions what the Pharisees were thinking. A word of knowledge is knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives in a particular instance that couldn't have been obtained naturally. The Holy Spirit tells you something. The next gift listed is the gift of faith. Now, so in some sense, all faith is a gift from God, but I believe what's listed here, the gift of faith, is referring to a, an instance where God gives someone supernatural faith that's somewhat inordinary to, um, to believe unwaveringly for a specific thing in a specific instance. There's been occurrences, and uh, one I was reading about recently in Sam Storm's uh, book on spiritual gifts, he had an experience with the gift of faith where he was praying for someone to be healed. And so he was praying, I forget if it was either them or their child that they would be healed, but he just got overtaken with this extreme sense of confidence that God was going to heal them. And he was kind of caught off guard by it to the point where he, he tried to doubt, like, why do I have so much confidence? Maybe it won't work. And he tried to doubt that God would heal them, and he couldn't. He just, for some reason, had this sudden, unshakable confidence that in this specific instance, God was going to heal this person. And God did heal them. But that's an example of the gift of faith, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. But I would also say that... Um, what sometimes is referred to as a word of faith can only happen by the gift of faith. And again, all the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 happen in instances. So the gift of faith isn't general faith for your whole life. It's faith for a specific thing in a specific instance. But when Jesus says that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can, cast, uh, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will obey you, he's not saying that you can just choose to have faith and move any mountain wherever you want that mountain to be. This is supernatural faith that God gives according to his will for what he desires to do. But I would say that is also an example of the gift of faith. Uh, next, Paul mentions gifts of healings. Uh, those are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, next, workings of miracles. So, 
one thing I will mention about the gifts of the Spirit, I heard an analogy from Derek Prince that the gifts of the Spirit are kind of like the colors of the rainbow. You can see them individually, but you can't necessarily tell very easily where one ends and another begins. Are healings miracles? Yeah. Are workings of miracles healings? Not always. Um, Examples of miracles that the Spirit did that weren't necessarily healings were, you know, when Jesus turned water into wine or raising the dead. You might consider raising the dead not a healing because you can't heal someone who's dead. Or restorative miracles, like when someone's lost a limb and God gives them a new one. Uh, The next one listed is prophecy, which is not per se for telling the future, but for delivering a message from God. Um, Mentions in 1 Corinthians 14 how that prophecy is frequently used for encouragement and comfort and exhortation. Next mentioned is discernment of spirits. So I would describe discernment of spirits as discerning what's going on spiritually. And it can be different things in different situations. It could be uh, the discerning of whether or not a person has a demon or what types of demons they may have. It could be discerning what the Holy Spirit desires to do in a situation. Uh, It might even involve, to some degree, sometimes perceiving what someone else has going on in their spirit. Let's look at Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet, and he sprang up and began to walk. So in the middle of the sermon, Paul was just looking at him, and I don't think he was holding a cardboard sign that said, I have faith to be healed. But Paul could see that he had faith to be healed. How could Paul see that? That was supernatural. That was perception that was given to Paul by the Holy Spirit. And it's quite possible that that would fall under the discernment of spirits. Uh, There's also various kinds of tongues and interpretations of tongues. Uh, We slightly covered those last week. Um, And sometimes in this context, tongues mixed with interpretations of tongues can be used to give a message from God in specific instances. All right, so what I really wanted to talk about today is our need as a church to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. You know, historically as a church, we've done well at helping people receive the baptism in the Spirit, but we we haven't really done very well at walking in the gifts of the Spirit after receiving the baptism in the Spirit. We really kind of haven't done well in that. Uh, We typically, it's not part of our day-to-day experience for the most of it to experience the gifts of the Spirit as a moment. And that's something that God wants to change and he will enable us to change. But we need to be seriously thinking about why that is. Why don't we have the gifts of the Spirit more and what do we need to change? What does God desire us to change specifically? And this is an important issue. We really need to start walking in the gifts of the Spirit, but this is something God has enablement for us. He has grace for us in this. And we're going to talk about six things we can and should do in order to start walking more in spiritual gifts. 
These are the fill in the blanks. So we've got six of them. Um, I really do think that uh, God has been working in us for this goal for a while. And, uh, and I think that here soon we are going to start walking more in spiritual gifts. But we, we really do need to be pursuing them. We need to recognize the grace that God wants to give us and we need to take it seriously. But anyway, six things we should do, how we should pursue spiritual gifts. Uh, the first one is we should be desiring spiritual gifts. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So that's twice we are told to desire the gifts of the Spirit. But why would Paul command that we desire the gifts of the Spirit unless whether or not we desire them has some bearing on something? I think whether or not we desire the gifts of the Spirit will have some bearing on how much we actually experience the gifts of the Spirit. But we are commanded to desire the gifts of the Spirit. It's important that we do desire them. So that's the first thing we should be doing. The second one is we should be praying for the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul tells us to desire them, which we should, but I think he has more than just desiring them in mind. Typically, anything you desire, you pray for. And we should be praying for the gifts of the Spirit. Also, you know, prayer to God for anything that we need is just a pattern in the scriptures. Let's look at James 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Let's also look at Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. By the way, all these, these three words, ask, seek, and knock, in Greek, they're in the present tense, which um, signifies an action that doesn't just happen and then end in a moment. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing action. So ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we talked uh, last time about how this does have to do with receiving the Holy Spirit, but I think it has to do with more than that. I think... Um, it can have to do with receiving the gifts of the Spirit. Again, in general, in Scripture, it's a pattern that we should be praying for the things that God wants to give us. God wants people to come to him, but he told us to pray that people would come to him. And then we'll 
told in 1 Corinthians specifically that praying for the gifts of the Spirit has a bearing on whether or not you receive them. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. Therefore, the one who speaks in a ton should pray that he may interpret. The implication is whether or not you pray that you would interpret has to do with whether or not you will interpret. We need to be praying for the gifts of the Spirit. And if we're not experiencing them like we would like to, we should examine how much we're praying for them and how seriously we're praying for them. But that being said, there's something else I want to hit on when it comes to our praying for spiritual gifts. We need to be praying in general and also in particular. So when I say praying in general... Uh, I mean things like, Father, please give us more spiritual gifts. That's praying for more spiritual gifts in general. That's good, and that's something we should be doing. But we should also be praying for gifts individually. I think that, um, you know, this kind of has to do with how real our seeking of them is. If we were praying as a church to experience more healings, but then whenever somebody got sick, we never prayed for that specific person that they'd actually be healed of that specific sickness, we'd have to ask ourselves, are we really seeking this? It's not enough to just pray in general. We should be praying for specific things in specific instances. There's opportunities to use spiritual gifts in day-to-day life. You know, the gift of prophecies for delivering messages from God, typically for encouragement or comfort or exhortation or consolation. So if you're with a brother and sister in Christ and they're going through something really difficult and you, don't, you can't think of anything to say to encourage or comfort them, that's an excellent opportunity to pray for the gift of prophecy, to pray for a word of prophecy. If you're going through a tough situation and you don't know what to do, you don't know what the wise thing to do is, that's a good time to pray for a word of wisdom. If there's people who are sick and need healing in our church, then that means we should be praying for gifts of healings. But I really do think this idea of praying for specific gifts in specific instances is important. And again, I would say, you know, if if we were praying for people to be healed in general, and then when people got sick, we never prayed for those people, are we really praying that people would be healed? Are we really seeking it? We need to be praying in general, but also specifically. We should pray for specific gifts in specific instances. That's part of actually seeking them. And that's something we haven't done very well in and we need to do better at. All right, the third thing we should be doing is trusting God for them. We need to desire the gifts of the Spirit and be praying for them, but we also need to be trusting God for them. It's a general pattern in the scriptures. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at James 5, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let's also look at Matthew 13, verses 57 and 58. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
Throughout the New Testament, faith is typically regarded as a requirement for seeing God act. And it's no different with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I'm going to try to move along quickly. I did want to address um, kind of an important subtopic when it comes to trusting God for things. Uh, and that is how to pray with an attitude of trust without burning yourself out. Because sometimes we, we know that we should have faith and then we pray for things and then we just we try to absolutely believe that God will most certainly definitely do this thing no matter what, even though he hasn't told us that he would. And that can lead to discouragement. So, but we also, at the same time, are supposed to have faith when we pray. So what do we do? How do we work that out? It's kind of complicated. Uh, so the first thing I would say is don't lie to yourself about your level of faith. If you don't have faith that God's going to do something, the solution to that is not to just tell yourself, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. It's going to happen when in your heart you really don't think it will. That is not the solution. That is not what having faith is. But I would say having, we, should, we don't need to have the goal to have perfect faith that God will certainly absolutely do something if he hasn't told us that he certainly absolutely will do that thing. I think we should have a different goal than that. Let's look at Matthew 8 verses 1 through 3. And he came down from the mountain, or when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, or if you desire, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. The scriptures imply that God doesn't demand that we need to have that absolute level of faith in order to see him act. But I would also contrast this passage with um, a passage we're going to look at soon with the, the father with the son who he wanted delivered from demons and the disciples were having trouble casting the demon out. He said to Jesus, if you can, and Jesus rebuked him for saying, if I can, all things are possible with God. But Jesus didn't rebuke the leper for saying, if you are willing. He healed him, and he didn't rebuke him or tell him that he had unbelief. Now, on that same note, Christians may have faith that God is absolutely certainly going to do something if they're experiencing the gift of faith in a certain situation. But that's a supernatural faith that God gives that's not what we should have as our goal for everyday, ordinary life. Because that's not something we can produce. Nonetheless, sometimes, as modern Americans, we have... Um, wait a minute, I skipped something. So instead of praying and trying to have gift of faith, level faith, without having the gift of faith for it, uh, we should pray with an attitude of general trust, an attitude that says God regularly desires to heal, but healing is not always what's best. But as I keep seeking his power in prayer, God will do what's best, whatever that may be. And that attitude is honoring to God. That should be our goal. But nonetheless, some of our doubts when we don't have certainty that it's his will to do something 
sometimes they don't come from that kind of attitude. I, like, I catch myself having real doubts that aren't coming from that attitude that healing might not be what's best. Sometimes I have doubts that just come from, well, I grew up not seeing God heal. He probably rarely heals. Why should I expect it this time? But that isn't honoring to God. We need to be aware of, you know, what's going on in our hearts. Having an attitude of God regularly desires to heal, but it's not always best, honors God. Having an attitude of, eh, it doesn't often happen, or it hasn't in my personal life before, it probably won't this time, that's not honoring to God. That doesn't come from an attitude of he's going to do what's best. If we don't expect something because we're not sure that it's what's best, that's completely valid and still honoring to God. But if we don't expect something simply because we don't expect it, we should question that. Uh, Another thing I would say is helpful if you're asking God to do something big, but you're not sure if it's his will. um, Sometimes it can be helpful to pray something like, God, please call me out of the boat. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 14, verses 22 through 32. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he diminished the crowds. And after having dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And at the fourth, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And, he, and they cried out in fear. Uh, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It would have been rather presumptuous, even for Peter, to just say on his own, Jesus is walking on water, I'm going to walk on water. And to just do it. So Peter thought that, hey, maybe this could be something I could do. Maybe this could be God's will. And he said, Lord, if it is you, call me out of the boat. And I think that can be a good general attitude to have when praying for big things that we're not entirely sure if it's God's will. Because that way you're still positioning your heart to trust God, but you're doing so without being presumptuous or making rash assumptions about God's will. In effect, if we're praying something like, God, call me out of the boat, what we're saying is, Lord, I want to totally trust you to do this great thing, but I want to know that it's your will. Just let me know and I'll totally trust you for it. And that is something we should learn to be able to pray. All right, so trusting God for spiritual gifts. That is something we're going to have to do if we want to be walking in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, What is the fourth thing we should do? 
We should be learning about the gifts of the Spirit. So why is it important that we learn about them? Um, I think it'll be helpful. So there's nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And if we want to learn to walk in them, we should, for one thing, know what they are. And we should try to become familiar with how they're typically used. What have other people's experience of them been? What should we expect? Uh, What is it like to get a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit? If we don't know these kinds of things, if we don't know what the gifts are, we won't be prepared when the time comes to walk in them. These are all things that are helpful to know. What are they? How are they typically used? What has been other people's experiences of them? And what should we expect? If, we, if you want to use the gift of prophecy, it would be helpful to know what it's like to use the gift of prophecy and what to expect. Because if you expect something that's totally different, if you have the expectation that prophecy is always about telling the future, God might be giving you something to say to someone else, and you might just dismiss it. That's not prophecy. That's not about the future. We need to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. We need to develop a good understanding of what they are and how they get used. This is something we're going to need to study for. Also, learning about the spiritual gifts is helpful because sometimes we need to learn about them in order to get better at them. Using the gifts of the Spirit is something you can get better at. You know, Samuel had to learn to prophesy. Samuel at first didn't know God's voice. God was speaking to him and he wasn't sure who it was. So he told Eli, hey, I'm hearing, was that your voice? I keep hearing a voice. And, uh, and Eli told him, if you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel had to learn how to prophesy. and He got better at it over time. But anyways, we need to learn about the gifts of the Spirit if we want to change our current circumstance. If we want to actually start walking in the gifts of the Spirit, we need to learn about them. And there are good books on that. Um, you know, I, I just recently read The Gifts of the Spirit by Derek Prince. That's a great book. Uh, I would, if you want to learn more about the gifts of the Spirit, I would start by reading The Gifts of the Spirit by Derek Prince. It's a good introduction. Also, talk to uh, various Christians who have used certain gifts. But learning about them is something we're going to need to do. And I might do a series on it eventually, but it won't be till this series ends. Also, don't rely just on whoever is speaking for your learning. All Christians should be learning on their own. What each of the gifts of the Spirit is like is something you can learn on your own time, and you should be learning on your own time. So if, if you think it's an issue that we don't walk in the gifts of the Spirit currently as much as we should, I would encourage you to do something about it. Learn about the gifts of the Spirit on your own time. So that's the fourth thing we should do. We should learn about spiritual gifts. Fifth thing we need to be doing, stepping out in faith. So a lot of times in Scripture, when we see something supernatural happen, we also see someone stepping out in faith. Let's look at Luke Luke 5, 18, verse 20. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
Let's also look at Matthew 9, verses 20 through 22. And behold, a woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. These are just two instances where people stepped out in faith before they saw God act. I would also mention you know, the passage we just read about Peter walking on water. He literally stepped out in faith. But in all you know, practical reality, this is going to need to happen if we're going to be walking in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, stepping out in faith is necessary for the practice of each one of them. Like, we can just go down the list. Prophecy. If the Lord has given you a word to speak someone else, you're going to have to realize that it's from God, and you're going to have to choose to tell that person or those people. So prophecy requires doing something, requires stepping out in faith. So does speaking in tongues. God gives you words to say, you say them. So does interpretation of tongues. A word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. God speaks to you something or gives you information, and you have to choose to respond to it or to act on it in some way. Discernment of spirits, again, similar to word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Gifts of healings. We always see when people use gift of healings in the New Testament, they stepped out and did something, laying on hands um, and things like that. Or telling someone, stand up, but it required stepping out in faith. Even the gift of faith, I think, requires stepping out in faith because it requires either praying for something or declaring a word from the Lord about something. But we need to be ready and alert, because if we're praying for the gifts of the Spirit, God is going to give us opportunities. There's going to be instances that come up where it's a time to use one of the gifts of the Spirit. And we need to be prepared to act in that moment, because all nine of these gifts require acting in some way. They require we take action. So we need to be ready and we need to be alert. And that brings us back to the point that we need to learn about the gifts so we can be ready to use them when the time arises. So stepping out in faith, that's the fifth thing. The sixth thing we need to be doing if we want to be walking in gifts of the Spirit more as a church. We need to be seeking to be filled with the Spirit. So the more filled with the Spirit a person is, the more frequently we tend to see them uh, experience the gifts of the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit operating in that person. You know, um, we've seen in Acts, Stephen was filled with the Spirit. It says he was filled with the... Well, we can read the passage. It'll only take a minute. Uh, Acts 6, verses 5 through 8. Um, I'm going to skip parts of it. Let's see. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Let's also look at Acts 19, verse 6. And when Paul laid hands on them, uh, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Those are two different gifts of the Spirit. So how filled with the Spirit we are and to be filled with the Spirit is a command from Ephesians 5 has to do with how often we'll experience the gifts of the Spirit. 
But again, be, being filled with the Spirit is a command, which means we have something to take part in. It's God that fills us. We don't fill ourselves, but there is something to take part in. There's something to cooperate in. You know, there's certain things we can do to receive God's filling us with the Spirit. Worship, prayer, reading the Scriptures, asking God to fill us with His Spirit. These are all things we can do that uh, tend to lead a person to be more filled with the Spirit. But anyways, that is the sixth thing we should be doing if we want to be experiencing more gifts of the Spirit, which we should. This is something we need to be doing as a church. We need to be working towards experiencing, we need to be pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that in this year is when God wants to change this for us. In some sense, we've been gradually starting to seek these things more and more, probably over the past two years. But I think God wants to give us uh, a real breakthrough, if you will, in this season. I think God wants to help us get over the hump. I think God wants to empower us in this season to break out of this, this lack of experience and of his gifts. But we need to be actually pursuing them. I'm going to read this list again. We need desiring spiritual gifts. We should all be desiring the gifts of the Spirit. We should all be praying for the gifts of the Spirit, both uh, in general and especially for specific gifts and specific instances. We should all be trusting God that He is going to give us gifts of the Spirit as a church in greater measure. We should all be learning about the gifts of the Spirit. We should all be studying until we know. Uh, and have a good understanding of each of these nine gifts. We should all be ready and willing to step out in faith when the opportunity comes to use these gifts. And we should all be seeking to be more filled with the Spirit. We all need to be doing these things, not just a few of us, not just the leaders, everyone. Anyone who is a member of Grace Christian Fellowship should be seeking to do these things. They're in the Scriptures. They are God's will. And anyone who is a member of GCF should be concerned about this, this lack of experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. But God is calling us, he's giving us grace in this season to overcome this. So please take some time this week to think over these six things and about how you can be doing them more. If we all start applying these things consistency, I am quite confident that we'll see a real, tangible, powerful increase in the gifts of the Spirit this year in this church. And we really need that. So we'll quickly wrap up with our communion meditation. Um, actually, let's close in prayer and then do the communion meditation. Dear Lord, we thank you that you desire to give us gifts. You have so many blessings for us that we can't even imagine, Lord. We thank you that you desire to give us your presence and more knowledge of you and more experience of your power, more seeing of your glory, and more equipping and power to show your glory and to spread your word to others and to increase and expand your kingdom. We pray that you'd help us to really seek you diligently and that you would empower us by your spirit to have your hunger and your motivation to seek you, Lord. We pray that uh, you would just call us uh, uh, practically and enable us to seek you how you would have us to seek you. We pray that you'd give us the breakthrough you desire for us and we would start to walk in spiritual gifts. And we thank you for your grace and amen. All right, today's communion meditation. Um, 
Jesus is willing and he wants us to ask. That is the point of today's communion meditation. We're somewhat just going to look at passages we already looked at, but let's look at Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3 again. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You know, I would also point us back to Peter on the boat. Peter didn't have certain faith that it was Jesus' will for him to walk on water, but he said, Lord... Call me on the water, and I'll walk on the water. He didn't have certain faith it was his will, but he had certain faith that Jesus had the power. He had certain faith that God had the power. And so many times in the Scripture, we are instructed to ask. We just looked at that in James 4. We do not have because we do not ask. Jesus is willing, and he wants us to ask. So let's praise him as we come to the table.